Mike Dowling, Megan Levy, Alan Swartout, Brian Treel, Sean Edens. Any of these names sound familiar? Not really? How about this one? Sergeant Rex. If you ask the general public, or even Marines who served from 2003 to 2012, they'd likely tell you the first list doesn't raise an eyebrow. These brave service members put their lives on the line for the United States. But as Corporal Megan Levy said, when you're a canine handler, no one knows your name, but everyone knows your dog's name. Megan's dog was Sergeant Rex. Sergeant Rex detected bombs across Iraq, saving US troops and Iraqi civilians alike from deadly explosions. In 2006, Rex was injured in the line of duty and deemed unadoptable. But Megan Levy and her fellow handler, Mike Dowling, couldn't bear to see Rex euthanized. They didn't know each other, but they both loved Rex. And both would do anything to repay their loyal companion for his service. Welcome to Dog Tales, a podcast original. I'm your host, Alastair. Unfortunately, this is the end of our journey for now. After many stories of historic heroic canines, we're taking a break from producing new episodes of Dog Tales. As we wind down, we want to say thanks to you, our loyal listeners. We truly appreciate all of the kind words, thoughtful reviews, encouraging emails, and fun suggestions we've received this year. Dogtales has been a heartwarming journey, and we thank you for coming along for the ride. Rest assured, all episodes of Dogtales and all other podcast originals will remain free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dogtales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dogtales in the search bar. All of our past stories will remain there. That said, we have one last episode for you. This week, we're telling the story of Sergeant Rex, a military working dog who served three tours of duty in Iraq. The German Shepherd located dozens of hidden explosives, saving hundreds of lives. He was an honored member of the Marine Corps, the subject of books, documentaries, and even a Hollywood film. But his relationships with his handlers made Rex the stuff of legend. He was an honored member of the Marine Corps, the subject of books, documentaries, and even a Hollywood film. But his relationships with his handlers made Rex the stuff of legend. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. 
Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Camp Pendleton, November 2002. Corporal Mike Dowling prepared to tackle his superior officer. Mike had been well-trained. Boot camp, military police courses, and military working dog school all led to this moment. He was meeting his dog, Sergeant Rex, for the first time. Out of respect, all military working dogs are awarded a rank above their handlers. But Rex didn't look like a high-pay-grade sergeant. He looked like a German shepherd taking a nap. A very dangerous German shepherd taking a nap. Mike entered Rex's gated kennel, and the dog's eyes flicked open. His hackles raised, a sign of fear or hostility. Mike may have been on a military base in Southern California, but he knew that wouldn't protect him from an attack. His training ran through his head. It's not a matter of if you'll get bitten by your dog, but when. Mike knew what he had to do, a military maneuver called the Alpha Roll. Like a cowboy taming a bronco, Mike carried a leather collar and leash toward the loose dog. He clasped the collar around Rex's neck. Rex growled, biting at Mike's toned arms and desert camo. Mike narrowly evaded Rex's jaws as he firmed his grip on the collar and flipped 70-odd pounds of German Shepherd right over. Rex might have been a military asset worth thousands of dollars, but at that moment, Mike had no fear of breaking him. Mike pinned Rex down, trying to keep his face and neck away from the dog's snapping jaws. He got one hand on Rex's face, forcing his head down while he wound the leash around Rex's maw. The dog couldn't bite. He couldn't bark. He scratched and whined. Still atop Rex, Mike shoved his own face in the dog's and screamed a command he'd learned in training. Out, out, out! Mike rose, watching the dog carefully. How would he react now? Rex lunged for another bite. Mike pinned him again, executing another alpha roll to establish his dominance. Out, out, out! Mike stood again, panting alongside the dog. Rex went for another nip, and Mike had him on the ground once more. They locked eyes, each determined to be the alpha dog. Finally, Rex relented. He wouldn't fight. From then on, they'd be best friends. That same November week, Rex and Mike began drills as a team, preparing for a side-by-side -side military career. While the dogs were trained to protect and attack, their main role was to sniff out danger in the form of explosives. Rex and his fellow canine sergeants were nicknamed Weapons of Mass Detection, thanks to the scent regions in the dog's brains, which are 40 times larger than a human's. As they trained, Mike expected he and Rex would stay in the US, performing counter-terrorism operations. He figured his most exciting assignment would be working alongside the Secret Service and seeing President George W. Bush from a distance. Canine units, 
that's letter K number nine, hadn't been sent to the front lines since Vietnam, nearly 30 years prior. But one year into their training, it became apparent Operation Iraqi Freedom was merely the overture in a lengthy war. And Rex and Mike had a pivotal role to play. In November 2003, Mike and Rex got word from their superiors. They'd be among the first 12 dog teams deployed to Iraq. Iraqi insurgents were killing Americans and Iraqis alike with IEDs, or improvised explosive devices. Usually, IEDs consisted of a burner phone wired to a car battery wired to PE4, a plastic explosive similar to C4. These weapons could be hidden anywhere, buried underground, inside buildings, or hooked up to cars. Insurgents could set them off at any time from any distance by simply calling the burner phone. An IED combined the sneakiness of a sniper rifle with the mass devastation of a bomb. If a Marine fell prey to an IED, they'd be thrown into the air, shaken so hard they'd die of a brain injury before the fire could burn them. IEDs were the biggest danger in the field, and the Marine Corps needed to learn how to find and defuse them. Their best bet was a precise and specialized tool pulled from the annals of history, a well-trained dog. Specifically, Rex. That said, Mike knew they'd be guinea pigs doing recon on an uncharted conflict. Neither had ever been in a war zone. Neither had even been on active duty. But in March 2004, they flew straight into Iraq's Triangle of Death. That's what the Marines nicknamed the most dangerous combat zone, an area south of Baghdad. Scary as it was, once they touched down in Iraq, Mike was eager to get working. No sooner were they on the ground than explosions rang out in the distance. Hearing the bangs and booms, Rex spooked and barked back. But Mike had a mission, to find the source and stop it. He felt imbued with a sense of purpose and didn't want to waste any time on their short six-month deployment. One day early on, the Marines patrolled near Mamoudia along a route soldiers dubbed IED Alley. It was right in the middle of the Triangle of Death. It was also seemingly a normal Iraqi neighborhood. The Marines investigated an apartment, convinced the site was a cover for bomb-building operations. Mike and Rex led the charge, entering what appeared to be a bedroom. Rex paused, tail stiffening. He lifted his head to snort, then resumed sniffing, taking faster, bigger breaths, pulling in more scents. Mike knew this so-called change in behavior signaled that Rex had found something. Rex wriggled under the bed. Mike's pulse raced as he observed his dog. The other Marines in the room halted, fixed on Rex's alert tail. Rex slipped out, clutching something large and round in his teeth. Rex and Mike both grew excited. They'd done it. They'd found a bomb. They'd saved lives. Rex turned to Mike and displayed his find. It was a soccer ball. 
the Marines had misjudged. This home was just a home. Rex's excitement was just that of finding a toy, proving even the best-trained military working dogs are still fun-loving animals at heart. A few days later, Mike and Rex returned to IED Alley. Everyone was still convinced there was a hidden stash of explosives in the area. If they could uncover the cache of IED components, they'd stop the insurgents for at least a few weeks, possibly saving thousands of lives. This time, they headed away from civilization. Rex sniffed through open desert, past baking sand and crackling brush. The afternoon heat was rising, close to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. As they searched the area, Mike began to worry for Rex's safety. Dogs can only sweat through their tongues and the pads on their feet. If Rex didn't pant enough to release the sweat from his mouth, his tongue would swell up. He'd choke before he died of heat stroke. So Mike made a point to give Rex frequent water breaks. When Rex finished lapping up his water, Mike called out the command, Seek, seek, seek. On cue, Rex zigzagged forward, Mike trotting behind him. Tramping through the dirt and browning grass, Rex's tail flicked. There might be something here. Mike watched as Rex kept snuffling along the ground. Another tail flick. Rex stopped, looking at the ground in front of him. He looked pointedly up at Mike, then back at the ground. It was the same tactic most dogs use to alert their owner to an empty food bowl, but with higher stakes. Much higher stakes. Mike flagged the explosive ordnance disposal team, who hurried over with metal detectors, hoping it wasn't another soccer ball. The mechanical detectors verified the canine had found one. They'd come across something buried in the desert. Something big. Shovels hit the sand, and three feet down, they found the mother load. Grenades, motor shells, detonation cord, PE4. Rex hadn't just found one bomb, he'd found the materials for dozens. Mike reached in his pocket and pulled out the bright red Kong ball he kept just for occasions like these. Rex had done his job. Now he got to play. While the explosive ordnance disposal team cleaned up the explosives, Mike played fetch, tug of war, and chase with the German Shepherd. After this, Rex became a beloved fixture around the military base. Mike said, having a dog with you gives you a sense of home. That was certainly true as they moved through the Triangle of Death, the area surrounding Baghdad, and eventually Fallujah. Units fought to take Mike and Rex out on daily patrols. They'd sneak him unauthorized treats from their mess halls and MREs, or meals ready to eat. They nicknamed him Sexy Rexy and T-Rex. On more than one occasion, Mike opened a care package from home to find it full of treats for Rex. He found it adorable, though Rex wasn't so easily pleased. He was a picky dog who preferred bones. Although he wouldn't say no to the occasional MRE bite, Rex was, as Mike said, too proud to beg. Like all dogs, Rex had a personality all his own. 
He was smart and eager to succeed, clearing roads, buildings, and cars. With every sniff, he gave US service members and Iraqi civilians peace of mind. This place was safe. This one too. Rex slowly grew used to the frequent bangs of guns and explosions across the desert. He learned not to bark so much, and Mike learned to keep his cool too. Over the ensuing months, Rex found dozens of bombs. He also brought Mike's attention to pet rabbits, groups of excited Iraqi children, and once, even a litter of abandoned puppies. Thanks to Rex and Mike's intel, no one else would go into Iraq blind. Though that didn't make the region any less dangerous. In September 2004, Mike and Rex were scheduled to return home. Their work had been exemplary, and the six-month deployment had finally come to an end. Rex and Mike had done their job with dedication and honor, setting the stage for a series of dog teams to follow in their path. But Mike hoped to fit in one last mission. Around 6 a.m., he and Rex woke up to patrol Mamoudia alongside a combined anti-armor team. Rex jumped into a Humvee, and Mike was about to follow him. Then they got the orders. Go home, right now. Their tour was over. Mike called Rex out of the Humvee and hurriedly packed up his belongings. The Humvee left without them. As Mike and Rex finished packing, one last IED resounded in the distance. The sound felt normal now. Rex didn't even bark. Neither thought much of it. Until later on, when Mike learned that the IED had blown up the very Humvee Rex was sitting in that morning. If they'd gone out on that patrol, Mike and Rex would have died in the explosion. Instead, the pair returned safely to the USA. Rex had a lot more living to do. Coming up, Rex's second tour in Iraq and another brush with mortal danger. Now, back to the story. From March to September of 2004, Corporal Mike Dowling and Sergeant Rex served in explosives detection operations in Iraq's Triangle of Death. Upon their return home, Mike was honorably discharged from the Marines. He was proud of his work. He'd done his duty and didn't fancy risking his life again, especially after his lucky escape from an IED on his final day in Iraq. However, his partner, Sergeant Rex, didn't have any choice. Military working dogs typically serve for about eight years, and after his time with Mike, Rex had around six years left. Mike had always known this, but it didn't stop him from planning to adopt Rex when his military career ended. He'd bonded with this special dog more than he thought possible and couldn't wait to spend every day with him again. Mike said he knew Rex in a way he might never know a fellow human being. Rex had started his life with Mike, and Mike wanted them to finish together too. In the meantime, Mike joined the reserves, making a point to visit Rex in Pendleton's canine kennels whenever he got the chance. He was confident he'd get Rex back someday. But before that could happen, Rex was assigned a new handler, Corporal Megan Levy. 
Megan had always had a dog. She was an only child, so they were the closest thing she had to siblings. Megan also loved being part of a team, evidenced by years of playing competitive softball. One month into Megan's college career, 9-11 shattered the nation. Around this time, Megan realized she wasn't cut out for college life and needed something she, quote, couldn't quit. Soon after she turned 18, Megan walked into a military recruiting office where the recruiters fawned over her. Megan didn't think she was anything special, but she was a woman and they had a quota to meet. Once Megan confirmed that she wouldn't have to cut her long hair, she enlisted. Megan Levy was all in. She traveled to Paris Island, South Carolina, the sole training grounds for female Marines. There, Megan learned that in the military, you always need a partner. Recruits couldn't do anything without a buddy, even go to the bathroom. Megan soon realized exactly what kind of partner she wanted, a canine. There was just one catch. Megan had to wait for an available dog. Well-trained dogs were few and hard to come by. It cost about $50,000 to train an MWD, or military working dog. And even then, a dog had to maintain a 95% search accuracy to remain certified and cleared for missions. So Megan waited. And waited. Seven months later, she was finally dispatched to Camp Pendleton and introduced to Rex. Megan had waited through Rex's entire first tour of duty for him, and she couldn't be happier to finally meet her dog. Of course, Sergeant Rex was still Rex. He was a weapon, stubborn, the kind of dog who'd bite any stranger who tried to pet him. Megan likely had to do a couple alpha rolls to gain Rex's respect, and she certainly received a few nips before he bonded with her. But after four months, Rex and Megan were a functional team. They shipped off to Fallujah in early 2005. Megan wasn't sure what to expect. It had barely been six months since Rex finished his first tour, and the Marines were still gathering preliminary intel. But Megan did know they'd be targets. The Iraqi insurgents had realized military dogs were a major threat and now aimed their guns accordingly. But Megan was, again, all in. Before long, she helped Rex find their first bomb. From there, her work went much like Mike's. Megan would take Rex ahead of the unit on a six-foot leash while fellow Marines watched her back. She'd keep her eyes focused on the dog, primed for the tiniest change or motion. Rex would give a flick of his tail, a big sniff, a look back. The Explosives Ordnance Disposal Team, called the EOD, would pull out the IED or explosives cache. Then Rex got to play with his ball. Walk, signal, EOD, IED, ball. Sniff, tense up, EOD, IED, ball. Step, point, EOD, IED, ball. Over and over, each time a success. Megan and Rex were so good, they went on a second deployment, 
this time to Ramadi, another city in Iraq. Megan grew to love Rex, not just as her partner in the field, but as her partner socially. Megan said Rex was a great icebreaker for her, especially as they worked with different units. She later said she never personally experienced the sexism that's so prevalent in the military. Perhaps that was because, if anything, a person with a dog is treated better than a person alone. And if anyone tried to mess with Megan, they'd risk a bite from Rex. And bite he did. Unlike Mike, Megan let people pet Rex. She figured they'd learn their lesson quickly. Rex hadn't changed, but the Marines apparently found his mean streak endearing. And as the woman the mean dog loved, Megan quickly gained the respect of her tough guy peers. She also earned their respect by saving lives. Together, Megan and Rex completed over a hundred successful missions. They planned another on September 4, 2006, during their second tour in Ramadi. A newer army unit had just arrived in Iraq and were eager to have a canine unit join them for an upcoming patrol. They requested two dog teams, but unfortunately, there just weren't enough available. The military would only allocate one team for the mission. Given that it was a green team of recruits and that Megan was the more senior of the two handlers, she volunteered. She knew her experience could help everyone. Alongside the army squadron, Megan and Rex set out into the heat. In early September, the temperature in Iraq could hit over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It was an unexplored area, but Rex searched with relish. He found one bomb, another, two more, each buried deep in desert sand, ready to destroy a passing vehicle at the first ring of an insurgent's phone. Five hours passed and they were on a roll. Megan walked Rex ahead of the army unit, watching her dog closely. Rex's brown and black fur glistened in the heat, his wet nose exploring up and down like a radar wave. Any second could bring the next find. Megan's combat boots and Rex's booted paws kicked up small clouds of dust. Suddenly, all six dusty feet flew in the air. Megan went unconscious as the blast launched her skyward 10 feet above the ground. She fell, hit the ground hard, was buried in debris. Megan awoke to army members digging her out of a pile of desert sand and spent explosives. She immediately reached for Rex. Where was he? Where was her dog? As the adrenaline kicked in, Megan felt overwhelmed with terror and gratitude. There'd been a bomb. She survived. Megan didn't know how, but Rex must have saved her life. She needed to thank him. She needed to find him. But Megan was still flat on her back, dust in her eyes. She wasn't sure how much she could move or feel. Until she felt a weight of warm, dirty fur. Rex. His heart beat softly. He'd survive too. 
Rex had suffered a shoulder injury but was miraculously in better shape than Megan. Megan was disoriented and could barely hear anything, but it didn't matter. For the moment, she had Rex and held him tight. They'd survived, but at a cost. Megan sustained brain damage, hearing loss, and PTSD. She'd have to spend at least a year in physical therapy back in the US. For her service, she was awarded a Purple Heart. As for Rex, he too was sent home to heal alongside Megan at Camp Pendleton. The injury only worsened Rex's wariness of strangers. Back home, he barely let anyone besides Megan touch him. So Megan took him to his vet appointments, fed and groomed him. That was fine by Megan. She didn't want to be with anyone else either. Every night, she'd sneak Rex out of his kennel and into the marine barracks. They each slept better next to the other. Each morning, Megan woke up before anyone else and snuck Rex back to his kennel. It became an open secret. Everyone knew Megan was breaking protocol for her dog, but no one had the heart to stop her. But at least one person expressed their displeasure with Rex and Megan. During this time, someone stole Megan's purple heart. It was never returned. As they healed, the bad news turned worse. They'd been classified non-deployable, meaning their military tours were over. They'd never find another IED. They'd never even get the chance. September 4th's patrol marked their last mission together in Iraq. It was a tough blow for a woman and a dog who thrived in active duty. But they could still serve their country. While in recovery, Rex and Megan began training their replacements. Both were hurting, but at least they had each other. Until 2007, when Megan's contract ended. The Marines gave her an honorable discharge. However, Rex was expected to serve four more years training new canine teams at Camp Pendleton, without Megan. Faced with leaving her partner, Megan was devastated. She knew the rules, but still put in a request to adopt him. She had to try. Sadly, the Marines denied her. Megan would be returning home alone. She said, I felt like I was abandoning him. After all we'd been through, that was so hard. As Megan bid Rex goodbye, she told him, I'll be back for you. I'll try my best. She understood the life of a military working dog and that most canines had multiple handlers throughout their careers. But no one else understood what Rex had been through in the field, or how good he was, or how much love the aggressive German Shepherd had to give. Well, no one except Mike Dowling, who'd made Rex the exact same promise. Coming up, Mike and Megan fight to give Rex the retirement they each believe he deserves. Now, back to the story. 
In late 2007, Corporal Megan Levy was honorably discharged after sustaining an injury on the line of duty. She received a Purple Heart, but the medal was stolen while she recovered in Marine Barracks at Camp Pendleton. While Megan mourned that loss, something bigger was taken from her. Her partner during her two tours in Iraq, Sergeant Rex. Considered an expensive asset, the German Shepherd was expected to serve eight years in the Marines, in or out of the field. At this point, he'd done about four. But even after his contract was complete, Rex might never live with Megan again. Megan had been taking Rex to the vet for the past year, and she knew all the details of his status. Rex was aggressive and, like most military dogs, had few qualms about attacking anyone he perceived as a threat. He was extremely smart and hardworking, but his loyalty had to be earned. Thus, Rex received a big red stamp on his folder. Not adoptable. Rex would never have a life outside the military. When he could no longer work, he'd most likely be euthanized. The organization that had brought Megan and Rex together now kept them apart. But Megan was, as always, all in. She'd get Rex back. In the meantime, she'd visit frequently. But six-year-old Rex had another frequent visitor, Mike Dowling, his first handler. After his honorable discharge, Mike also vowed to adopt Rex. For years, Mike and Megan didn't cross paths. They'd served in the same role, in the same area, with the same dog, but timing kept them apart. Each made separate visits to Camp Pendleton, but drew the same conclusion. None of the new handlers were bonding with Rex. Rex was assigned to a different corporal after Megan. Then another, and another. But with each handler, he was a tool for practice. A dog they trained with, but not the dog they went to war with. To the military, it didn't matter if Rex was completely happy or loved. He was a military working dog. Emphasis on working. Over five years, Rex shuffled through 12 different handlers. None of them were with him as long as Michael Megan. Rex turned 9, 10, 11. Mike began working in the film industry. Megan adopted a cat. Then, in 2011, Rex had a seizure. He survived, but it left him with facial palsy. He'd no longer be able to smell explosives. As soon as Megan heard, she was terrified. Rex would likely be euthanized, and she might not even get to say goodbye. Crying, she reached out to Jerry Donellan, director of the local veterans service agency. All Megan wanted was for her friend to have the happiness and love he deserved. Rex couldn't be put down. Jerry comforted Megan and then hatched a plan. He had a contact in New York Senator Chuck Schumer's office. Jerry and Megan put together a packet for the senator, urging him to help reunite the military heroes. They also started a local petition. Across the country in Southern California, Mike Dowling also heard of Rex's injury. 
albeit in a very different way. As Rex's first handler, Mike was offered the chance to care for him in his old age. Not that it would be that easy. Rex was still deemed not adoptable, and Mike would have to take necessary measures both to protect Rex and protect civilians from Rex. It might take a year or more to complete the paperwork and logistics. Even then, they might be rejected, meaning Rex could still be put down. But to start the process, the Marine Corps simply needed a yes. Years earlier, it would have been a no-brainer. Of course Mike wanted to adopt Rex. He loved the dog. He still did. It was worth any amount of effort to give Rex the retirement he deserved. Still, Mike had recently heard about Megan Levy's petition to adopt Rex. It had almost 22,000 signatures. Though Mike had come out of Iraq unscathed, he'd worked with wounded warriors. He'd found his passion in helping veterans create meaningful lives after their service ended. Mike realized the potential adoption was an opportunity to help Rex and make good on his promise. But it was also an opportunity to help another vet, Megan. So he said no. Mike said the Marine Corps should let Megan Levy adopt Rex, and they should do it soon. Sometimes the dogs we love are only ours for a short time. That doesn't make them any less special. Mike Dowling likely realized that, and certainly realized that Megan needed Rex more than he did. And now, Mike had a new cause to dedicate himself to, reuniting Rex and Megan. Mike wrote to Chuck Schumer, imploring the senator to speed up the process. And while letters and petitions crawled through the government, they ran through the media. Megan and Rex became a popular human interest story. Why would anyone keep a wounded veteran from her wounded military dog? Soon, even the New York Yankees were involved. Megan was a lifelong fan and now worked security for the organization. The president of the Yankees, Randy Levine, pledged he'd pay for Rex to fly first class from Camp Pendleton to Megan's home in New York. In DC, Senator Schumer was moved by the letters, the petition, and the press coverage. He used his power to try to facilitate a speedier-than-usual adoption. On April 6, 2012, 11-year-old Rex officially retired from the Marine Corps. Mike and Megan both attended the ceremony at Camp Pendleton. Rex's final honor citation noted 10 years of service, including 11,575 hours in the US and three tours of duty in Iraq. While there, Rex was constantly put in harm's way during multiple firefights, mortar attacks, and improvised explosive devices. The citation ended, Rex's enthusiasm, initiative, and loyal devotion to duty reflected great credit upon himself and were in keeping with the finest traditions of the Marine Corps. But best of all, as he retired, Rex's status was reversed. He was approved for an adoption. The next day, 
Rex and Megan flew first class to Megan's home in Valley Cottage, New York. It was 5,000 miles from Fallujah, but Rex still had his share of exciting adventures. Rex loved barking at the local deer and got to play in snow for the first time. He spent time in Megan's kitchen and became extremely interested in cooking. He even met his first cat, another one of Megan's pets. At first, Rex tried to chase the cat, but when it batted him on the face, Rex realized he was better off leaving that particular animal alone. As it turned out, some things were more dangerous than sniffing out IEDs. And every night, at the end of a long day of running and playing, Rex cuddled up to sleep in Megan's bed. Six weeks after their reunion, on May 13, 2012, Megan put Rex on his six-foot leash and watched as he sniffed through a new and different kind of dust, the infield dirt of Yankee Stadium. The stadium erupted with noise, but it was just the raucous cheers of a game-day crowd followed by an aftershock of live bagpipe music. Star third baseman Alex Rodriguez joined Megan and Rex on the field. The Yankees wanted to honor the pair for their service. Rex was muzzled, as he had to be when they left the house, but it didn't prevent him from unleashing a few excited barks at A-Rod. Apparently, some fans thought he was proposing to a girlfriend. Instead, number 13 presented Megan with a Tiffany charm with Rex's name on it. That was all Megan expected. But then Marine Captain Eric Tausch took to the field and presented Megan with a replacement Purple Heart. It was a perfect spring afternoon. Rex and Megan had found their place in the world together. But unfortunately, they only had a short time. Eight months after Megan adopted him, Rex passed away. In later interviews, Megan affirms that if she had to do it over, she'd still move heaven and earth to get Rex back for just those eight months. Like Mike, she truly valued the little time she and Rex had together and understood that sometimes dogs can only come into our lives for a brief while. But when they do, they change us forever. Much the same, we've only produced dog tales for a short while, but we sincerely hope our brief run left a paw print on your heart. Thanks for listening to Dog Tales. You can find all episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Dog Tales, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dog Tales on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. Thanks again for joining us for good stories about good dogs. Dog Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a Parkhouse Studios original. 
It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Dog Tales was written by Maggie Admire. I'm Alastair Murden.